Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geeks, episode 117. Today, we have been abandoned by Andrew, so it's just Dude and myself, Tracy, here. Hey, Dude, what's up? I'm having abandonment issues. I'm approaching borderline personality disorder. <laughs> can't. So, I just build Andrew up so high, and then I tear him down, well, and then get mad for abandoning me. I, I, borderline. I just learned about this recently, so now I'm my own psychologist. <laughs> We're, we're all in this. We're all. I learned together, about though. I learned about this recently, borderline personality disorder, and I just text like seven of my friends. You ever hear about this? Because I think your ex was borderline. <laughs> <laughs> just kept, and they were like, "Why?" <laughs> it's like, did she threaten to kill herself if you left her? Yes, borderline, <laughs> which is not probably not true at all. But I just started saying it. <laughs> That's because you do that, right? When you learn something new, you tell everyone, or you just and you, you see it everywhere. You're like, you see it oh, exactly, see it. it everywhere. That's totally it. Yeah. That's it. Especially with psychology work. stuff. Anyways, oh, yeah. so because Andrew's not here, we do have we have sort of a general idea of what we want to talk about. We are going to talk about the book Handmaid's Tale, and then we're going to recap the full season when it finishes, winds up in, what, two weeks, I think? A week or two, it's, yeah. Because Today's 10 the second to last one, I think, and next week is the last. No, no, no. Episode nine was last week. Oh, so today's the last. That was the bridge, and then the tenth one's the last one. Yeah, so that's today. So maybe next week yeah. we'll we'll talk about the the show itself and some of the fallout from it and some of the controversy and all that stuff. But today, while we're going to talk a little bit about the book, since for once, dude and I have actually read the same book without even talking to each other about it. Um, that's true because we have read the same book, but it's like we. It's usually me saying, "Hey, you should read this," or you saying, "Like you should read this," and then we catch up. And but in this case, we actually both did read it first. Anyway, but before we get into that, we got like a shit ton of just random geek stuff that we want to talk about, starting with. Um, because right our asses we, want to be relevant and shit. For sure. So, uh, right before I hit the record button, dude was about to show me a new board game that he picked up. Oh. Is it a board game? Yeah, it's a board game. I thought so, we weren't getting any more board games, though. Just, just shut up right now. Just stop it. <laughs> I'm uh, never going to let that die, though. I tried to, like, pass it off as expansions don't count. but And I did get an expansion. But, but no. So, these are one of those... Here's the thing about... Here's the thing about board games. There are... Ones that are out there for everyone to get whenever you want them and you can get them, right? So here's a good example. I have this one right here. This is called Joking Hazard. If you are familiar with the Cyanide and Happiness yeah, man. comics and you are familiar with kind of the format of Cards Against Humanity, this is a pictorial Cyanide and Happiness version of Cards Against Humanity. I am not a fan of Cards Against Humanity. This is orders of magnitude better because you can just really? kind of make up your own rules, have a lot of fun, and it's like legit funny. I personally just never found... Cards Against Humanity, funny. And you just the whole point of the game is to make a three-panel comic, and whoever's the funniest wins. Okay, so that's you, legitimately awesome. And some of it is just, like, ridiculous over the top, <laughs> where you've got, like, the blue guy ejaculating blood all over the red guy screaming, eat, uh, green guy all screaming, eat my AIDS. Like, it's just super, <laughs> super, super over the that top. So not so stupid and awesome. It's awesome, but it's like we were playing it last night because we had a board game day yesterday going through a couple new games, and we played this to kind of just break the tension because we were playing some heavy-duty games. But I would highly – one of those great party games. But so, but in the board game world, here's what you have to understand. There's like big games that will always be there like Settlers of Catan mm -hmm. and all the Risk games and just games that are out there forever. And then there are the niche games, and most of the niche games fall into the war game category. So they will come out, they will probably sell 300 copies, and that's considered a good day. So when you find them in a store, if the store even freaking carries them, you got to kind of buy them where they are. Yeah. Because if someone else ever, grabs it, you're not seeing it again. Do you ever order it online? Or do Every you now try, and again. try to avoid that if you can? I try to avoid that because I am still old-fashioned. I don't consider myself a millennial. I like to consider myself the tail end of Gen X, mm -hmm. which means I have Same. a lot of angst and unfulfilled dreams. That's what I like to... You're like a year how, older than me, I think. I don't I think like you're that. a year older than me. That could be. I'm anyway. 32. No, I'm 31, so... I don't know. Yeah. But, but yeah, I have everybody this, keeps telling me I'm a millennial. I'm like... Technically, we are, but I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to claim it. I, I want to claim the tail end of Gen X. If you remember when Kurt Cobain died, if you remember three things, okay, you're Gen X. If you remember OJ's Bronco Chase, if you remember Kurt Cobain blowing his head off, and you remember Hurricane Andrew, remember like you saw that shit happen. Yeah. 
your Gen X. If you yeah. can't remember those three things, I don't want to talk to you. Go, go, go Snapchat something about. <laughs> use your fidget spinner. <laughs> yeah, use your fidget, Snapchat your fidget spinner, stuff like that. All right? I don't care about you. No, for so. me, it was the big, the very first thing that hit me was not cultural at all. It was Desert Storm. I remember being, how oh, young, maybe six or seven, maybe a little older than that. And my preschool. So, hmm? You were in preschool. Because I was in like kindergarten, first grade when that happened. Yeah, so I would have been really young. And so my grandfather, he was a, a career Marine. He had retired and he was over there as a contractor. He was in Saudi Arabia. And I remember sure. my mom like really crying because she was super, super worried about yeah. him being over there. People forget. People do not, because everyone remembers Desert Storm or Desert Shield. Everyone remembers Desert Shield bombing the crap out of them and just mm -hmm. watching them just get tanked on CNN. And then the 100-hour invasion, right? The three-day yep. invasion yep. that just, just ended them, right? And it became like, it started to become so unfair, it was borderlining war crimes, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> yes. that's really what it was coming up against. And But what people forget, people don't remember, was predictions were 30 to 40, even up to 50,000 dead. Because Iraq, I think, had the third or fourth largest army, standing army. So it was something, it was in the top five. I don't really remember the details because yeah. I'm doing this off the top of my head. So yeah, people were super scared. Mm -hmm. Yep. People, like I had friends, Denny, the guy who, who taught me magic. Uh, his son was in Desert Storm and he was a three-tour Vietnam vet. He watched that war 24-7. He can't sleep without the TV on now because of that. Yeah. <laughs> he can't do it. So yeah, yeah, people were scared. So anyway, but getting back to this, I had this game called Guns of Gettysburg. And the thing about this is it is a historically accurate map of Gettysburg where the pieces are the wooden blocks that are just kind of little triangles or rect mm -hmm. rectangles. Let's say. So if you've seen Ken Burns Civil War yep. and they show you a map of Gettysburg or Vicksburg or Chancellorsville and they show mm -hmm. the map with the blue and the red, yes. that's what the game looks like in action. That is and cool. There's no dice. There's no cards. It's all done by like if you outmaneuver your opponent and and kind of your differentiation you add up these numbers and your differentials are higher than your opponents then you push them back and you win a little bit so it's so all about strategy that sounds a lot simpler than a lot of these games where you have sometimes you'll have as many as six moves per turn you're like you do this and yeah, you, you still do have this, that here this. you still have that here really okay yeah but the yeah. thing is like it's not it's not a binder full of stuff i right. have seen games where guys have three ring binders that are the size of your fist flipping through rules but it, I think it's one of those things where you play the game enough, once the penny drops, you get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's one of those things like, okay, it's $60, but I'm never, I don't see this anywhere. I don't, I, don't, yeah. I, don't see this, I don't see this anywhere, so I got to get it. It was the same thing when I got this game from Columbia Games called Napoleon, uh, the Waterloo Campaign. Oh, yeah. I think you showed this to us on a previous podcast. Yeah, I may have. I mean, I have 10 Napoleon games. So. I know you do. <laughs> so, but the thing is, what's unique about these two, and this is what people have to remember about war is when you fight a battle you have especially back then you have no idea a where the enemy is and how many they are in number at best you've and, got a cavalryman riding out ahead and yes. coming back and be like my estimate is this they're coming from these and i mean if you were a seasoned general you could sort of extrapolate from that a uh, right. small amount of data kind of and, and you know the other big thing about war at least as it used to be fought i think it's changing so quickly we're now almost in the fourth generation of of advances in technology since world war ii but we're, we're you know now into cyber warfare i mean right. i would say we're at the beginning stages of what is now cyber warfare and what is going to continue to be cyber warfare for a beginning for a while but up until maybe world war one you know when they were still fielding brigades on horseback as in the charge of the light brigade that you was knew what your enemy was i'm sorry crimean war you're correct yeah. but roughly the same idea they were coming up against cannons and and such but you knew yeah. what your enemy was going to do because it's what you all learned in battle school right you you went sure. to a war college and you were you were like if it's a pincher move then this is the defense against it or if you want to outflank them then this is what you do and occasionally you had someone like stonewall jackson that came along and almost rewrote the book almost but not quite not quite no but he was still a genius and did a lot of things that and and i mean st to some extent Stuart longstreet lee of course lee was more that he could get his commanders to do cool stuff than he what's, did it himself. So what's amazing but. about the particular Confederate generals is they didn't really, they didn't quite realize how technology was starting to move. So they were still making some of the old Napoleonic mistakes 
that worked back then, which was mash your men and charge with bayonets. But if you watch that Civil War documentary, he points out there weren't many bayonet wounds in the Civil War. And he's like, barely, you know, barely more than you would have seen in World War One. Well, and it was so. fought, it was the first war fought with modern weapons. Yeah. So, so I mean, well, first American one. You can you can make an argument for Crimea. Yeah. Uh, because that was actually the first one photographed and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can kind of and that was only nine years, five years before six, 54 to 55. Yeah. And Civil War 60, so yeah. But what's there cool about no these time, two games... There was no t- time for them to, to rearrange. Anyway, go, go, no. getting back to the games. Yeah, what's cool about them is, so when you... When, in these battles, they had no idea who they were coming up against. So what's cool about these two games is they're blocks with stickers on them. But you you turn the blank side to your, your opponent. So they have no idea what you're moving. So they see them, but they don't know what they're... So you don't, you don't know what you've come up against until you've hit which is the system that I've been searching for for a while. And that's why I'm excited about these two games is, is you, you have to outmaneuver and then you're like, who am I about to hit? And then you could like completely floor them or you could, again, charge into a, 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 a wall or a hedge and there's four brigades waiting for you and you're just toast. So I'm, I haven't tried them yet. I've read the rules, but they seem pretty cool. That's awesome. I, at this point, you've done so many different war games. I feel like you could probably make one and it would have a pretty decent playability. We try and like design them, Baruch and I, and we suck at it. He had some dragon game, and then I broke almost immediately. Oh, I remember this. It was and awful. He was really pissed at you. He's still, he's still <laughs> mad. Like he's still mad about. Well, he's mad at me about a lot of things. He's just. How are you guys still friends? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, uh, especially now like, we just come up with new ways to in- insult each other. Our our new thing is instead of like yo mama jokes, it's like you know I'm gonna bang your mom. It's like I'll just send him like texts or memes like I'm gonna bang your girlfriend. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. And wow, just, like, yeah, that's a whole like, new like, level of mean. Yeah, it's super like crazy. <laughs> it's fun. So there's a ton of geeky news going on right now. Mine mostly relates to Wonder Woman because I'm still obsessed. Last week we of course did our all girl cast on. Wonder Woman, and it was it was such a great movie. So at this point, Forbes is reporting that it has pulled in $435 million worldwide, and it still reigned supreme this weekend domestically with another $16 million on its second it's weekend. It came out this weekend. That's a big part of it, yeah. I, so mm-hmm. what I did at the beginning of the year, and I continue to update it as I go along, I went to IMDb, and I looked at coming soon, and I just scrolled month by month, and I wrote it in my planner, like what's coming out this weekend, so I could decide, you know, kind of, and nothing, zero things are coming zero. out this weekend. You know, I don't you're even not going to get anything until July. Yeah, yeah. But it's there's still a couple things. Baywatch that didn't do so well last weekend. I, was, I think they were hoping it would redeem itself a little bit this weekend. It didn't do Rare anything at all. Rare miss for The Rock. And yeah. I didn't. Get, I want to see it. I didn't get a chance to see it. It does. It actually does look fun. I'm not a Zac Efron fan, but it, it, overall, it's just I have to actually get there. And I. But everyone's a Rock fan. Everyone. Yeah. Some more than others. I have a I have a good friend I went to uh, college with, and she's like obsessed with that guy. She thinks he's the hottest thing ever, and I'm like, maybe in his early days. These days, I don't know if he's hot. He's funny. He's hilarious. He's hilarious, and he's ultra buff. Yeah. So I, I like well, ultra buff, but I I my reports on that one was it didn't know what it wanted to do, and they didn't they didn't go full comedy the way I think they were trying to do another Twenty One Jump Street, and oh, it didn't stick. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't even like the first 21 Jump Street, so. Oh, I kind of did. Um, did you see the second one, 22 Jump Street? Was that any better? No, I, th- I didn't see that one. Most of the problem that I had with it is that I just, I don't understand why Channing Tatum is popular. So that always is. You know, you off. just, you people don't understand how ultra talented that man is. You do not appreciate the majesty of Channing Tatum. God damn it. Only time I was like, okay, this makes sense was when I watched him in that Hateful Eight. Yeah, he was that good one. in that. But he was super brief, but still, he was good. I was like, maybe he I does mean, have some acting chops. I really think chops. about what this guy does. He he is one of the few actors, and I honestly don't know why he's not more popular than he is, who crosses so many genres and does them well. Like, here's a guy, he, he has done... Like a big, dumb look. He, <laughs> he, he, he looks like... But that's the thing, is he... he He's done dance, like serious and romantic comedy. So he's done the Step Up movie. He's done the first Magic Mike and the second Magic Mike, which was very different from the first one. 
I haven't seen either one of those. Yeah, the first one's like Steven Soderbergh, kind of fatalistic, dark underbelly of male strippers. And then the second one is like, we're doing a road trip to win- save the bar or something stupid like that, right? It's dumb. <laughs> but but they're both good. He he does comedy well, in my opinion. I thought he did 21 Jump Street. I thought it was really funny. He was terrible it, in The Eagle, though. The in what? Roman, that one Roman movie, The Eagle, where he was a Oh, Roman yeah. I mean, look, not, he's not going to do everything well. But he he's also done like action i think he's done the gi joe movies and those were pretty big hits that's not true. good but they were hits yeah so i mean like so i just see him as like a guy he is one of those like renaissance men actors especially for americans you don't have that yeah well and you know what here's the other thing i always think of him as a dumber ryan reynolds but the truth of the matter is i hated ryan reynolds for the first 10 years of his celebrity I still status. don't like ryan <laughs> i like him now I think he's a much, I, I get him now. He's, well, then again, maybe it's sort of a maturity thing. As they get a little bit older, I just relate to them better. But <laughs> anyway. So it Ryan Reynolds was like, you know, I just talk really fast with his high-pitched voice. My head bobbles back and forth and I'm going to make a small voice crack. Look at me, I'm really funny. <laughs> I just can't, I can't stand him. He's like a less exasperating Vince Vaughn. That's really, because <laughs> when I watch Vince Vaughn, I start to hyperventilate because yes. I can't. I can't like I start breathing with him and I don't know how to, I don't know how he does it. I think he does like a, a form of circular breathing without the saxophone. He just it goes through his face and that's what he does. And it, I can't I can't stand him. Yes. No, Vince Vince Vaughn is obnoxious. But anyway, I I've completely lost my train of thought. What were we talking? Oh, we're just oh, we're talking, talking about box movies. office Wonder Woman. I mean, I'm looking at yeah. box box office mojo right now. 10-day total is a little domestically is a little bit behind Man of Steel. So good for them. I'm still one of the few people I think who liked Man of Steel. I liked uh, Man of Steel. Because I, I actually it enjoyed than, it. I liked it better than the next one, the Batman versus Superman. It was better than that one. Yeah. yeah. I am just not a fan of these universe movies right now. I'm just I don't like this trend. You don't prefer, like it. Yeah, you'd prefer solos. I really prefer that every character is in their own world and their own world deals with them as individuals. I don't like the everyone is in this universe because in my mind, you would basically have these super characters carve up the geopolitical map for themselves. That's what I would expect to see. Well, yes, but you are a libertarian that borders on an anarchist. So <laughs> No, I am not because anarchists are unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only problem I have with what you said, and I, I get where you're coming from entirely. The only problem I have is when you do, when you only have one superhero per movie or they live in their own world, you end up with a billion origin stories. They just can't get away from the origin story because it translates sure. so well to film. That's true. You know, no, I get, I get you. We, we you always have, have to. But – for and the Wonder most Woman was part. too. I mean, I liked of it. Of course, yeah. It was. Look, I, I'll be honest. I'm so you you guys talked about that woman only screening at the Alamo Draft House we in did. New York. Yeah. yeah, which is just stupid. And somebody has actually, uh, I think a, a New York law professor has actually submitted a civil rights complaint. Oh, you've got because, to be kidding me! Well, I, no, I didn't because think it, any it of does that was worth the headlines. Well, that was the thing. Is so this is from Heat Street because a guy actually went. Stephen Miller from Heat Street went. He mm-hmm. bought a ticket and like people are like, oh, you're not supposed to go. It's like you can't you legally can't speaking, can't stop. discriminate. Like, That's yeah, like can. against the law. No. It's literally a statute. There's actually in the in the article from Heat Street, he cites the code, New York code. that You can't do this. Right. It's not a private club. It's not like Augusta National. Right. Right. Augusta but you, National but is a private club. There's nothing that stops them from commercializing it specifically to women. I mean, no, I no, no, no. But what you can't do is you can't turn people away at the door. Yeah. But, but right. they never said that they were going to do that. But the implication was such, right? When you say no guys allowed, right? You can advertise things in a bunch of different you ways. Can if, advertise they sold the, them. if they sold the guy the ticket and the guy went and sat in the middle of a bunch of women, which I don't know why any self-respecting man would do that anyway. Have you ever been to a theater or, or any large group of things where you're supposed to be quiet and look at something and it's all women? It's never quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's not to disparage my own half of the species. Don't get me wrong. I'm just no, saying that that's what, that's what it's like. You really want to be the only guy in a woman full, uh, a cinema full of women? Yeah, I do, no. so long as I'm holding a, a placard that says, make me a sandwich, and then I will do it. <laughs> you will die. will die, Dude, but I will be so happy. A, if we're not ready to transition, but that would be such a perfect transition into Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, it would. 
But so here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to say this just off the top because you've already said how much you like. I thought Wonder Woman was stupid. I but knew you I, would. I don't. I would give it credit. It did stupid really well. It, it, it was dumb. I mean, it was sincerely stupid. I don't think. But it did dumb well. Yeah, it was nobody's manifesto. I liked it. it was nobody's manifesto. It wasn't a feminist manifesto. It wasn't a superhero manifesto. It wasn't any of those things. It was no, just, it was just a really cut and good paste of other stories we've all seen. <laughs> but it was, but it was a feel good movie in which a female happened to be in the titular role, and it didn't really matter. She wasn't Is right it all the time. Titular or titular? I have no idea. You I probably it, want it to be titular. I want it to be titular. Of course, because I want I want Gal Gadot's titulars. <laughs> Dude, center. she has two children. Can you believe that? She was pregnant for part of that filming. I heard that, yeah. Good girls, grief. The girl's a rock. That is insane. She was amazing. Anyway, she's, speaking she's of um, Wonder Woman, going back to my second news article, is that apparently Robin Wright's character, Antiope, is how I'm pronouncing that right now. I have no idea if that's correct, is going to return at least briefly in Justice League. And, of course, the headline, this is the, this headline is from Screen Rant, and it'll be in the show notes, of course. But the headline gets me all excited because she's one of my preferred characters. I wouldn't say favorite characters, but she's one of the characters I really liked in that movie. And so I get all excited that she's going to be back. And it turns out that she's probably just going to be in the sort of the, the prologue Yeah, flashback prologue. Because, yeah, like, didn't she die? That was she the one did. thing. They, they never explained how any of the, that's what I loved about it. They never explained how any of it worked. It was like, okay, so they're Amazons, they're super soldiers. I guess they live forever, or somehow they make, or they make babies out of clay, but they're not bulletproof. Wonder Woman is supposed to be bulletproof, but she sort uses of. her bracelets. Yeah. I don't know. And she can fly or she can't, but she can jump really far. My guess to, is that. And she can do lightning, which she didn't do in Batman vs. Superman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is this? What is what is happening in this film? Yeah, she did definitely had a, an upgrade in superpowers since the last movie that she was in. I think with the Amazons, just to very briefly answer that, the impression that I got was that she was not created out of clay. That was just a story her mom told her so she would shut up and stop asking her. Okay. But it, it's a throwback to the original Wonder Woman story, and her backstory was changed... I want to say in the 60s. Yeah, they change them a bunch of times. They do. They do. So I think they were trying to do homage to a couple different things. And the other thing is the Amazons, the impression I got, and this could be wrong, is just they don't die of natural causes, but you can kill them. Like elves. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I, they never, you're right. They never did actually you, said did you, that. But did you watch like, it and get to the end and go, what the fuck was she doing during World War II? <laughs> like... Did you think that? Like, no, I did not think that. What I did think was she was walking through the trenches still wearing that ridiculous getup that they put her in. And I'm like, I get it that they want the big reveal as she comes up over the top of the trench. But why the fuck is she walking through the trenches of World War One up to her knees in Legionnaire's disease and she's still wearing this stupid dress? What the fuck? Well, I think she had her boots underneath it, so, you know. Even so, I'm a girl. I know what full-length dresses feel like. They're shitty. I thought, <laughs> I thought I thought she was just wearing, the, like, the cape, like the Luke Skywalker cape okay, with her shit underneath it. Even That's what so. I thought. Even so. I thought the whole nice. World War One sequence fell flat for me. Just because we are talking about war earlier, and I just thought, with me and superheroes, I didn't see Captain America, so I don't know how they handled World War, uh, World war Two. But in this one, it just felt really trivial. I just it didn't it didn't it didn't deliver any kind of punch for me and it felt it felt unfulfilling. Like they tried to like, oh here's the horrors of war, but don't look too long <laughs> or something like that. You well, know, I just because yeah, we gotta keep it PG thirteen. I'm definitely not going to repeat like the whole podcast we just did. I will link to it though in the show notes. Sure. But I definitely thought that it matched the fact that we had a superhero movie and not a World War One movie. However, oh no, it definitely was the case, yeah. I, I think that was better. However, you have a whole bunch of news as well. Oh, no, one one other Whatever. thing. One last thing that I'm going to link to in the show notes. I'm so sorry. I forgot that I had this window open on my computer. Um, the most scathing question asked in all of E3 of 2015. This is not new, but this is a video that popped up in my feed recently in which the moderator at a panel at E3 a couple years ago asked, I want to say the guys of Bethesda? Um, this sounds like a while ago. I may have heard about it this. It could have been what it was going to take to stop shipping broken games, 
which I thought was really <laughs> interesting. And I will I yeah. will throw that link. It was really it was really cool. And it's it is a very brave question to ask when you're at a panel with two guys that you presumably want to come back to your show to ask them point blank why they're doing shitty things no, the, to their customers. These are things that have to be said. These are things yeah. that have to be said. I'm not a huge computer gamer. I, I don't really invest in the big tentpole games. Mm-hmm. I don't. I kind of stick to kind of the peripheral games. I still like them. I, I put 300 hours. I have over 300 hours in Total War Warhammer. So, and that, you know, wow. I mean, it's like, so like I still love them, but like I don't, but I know what they're talking about. These big tentpole games. You may not have been following the failure of Mass Effect Andromeda, but that, that had a huge lead up. And it came out unready. It came out unready. The, the anime, there, there's, if you just YouTube, just go on YouTube and just punch in uh, Mass Effect Andromeda a- animation glitches and just how they animated and how they uglied up the female character and how they just, the facial animation was just atrocious. No one liked it. It was a poor quality. It looked worse than the previous game. It was a poor quality wow. game. And they put, $50 million into it, some sort of double-digit million that was yeah. a lot. And people go, this is not the quality we expect. Whereas the guys who are doing South Park, and I think it's Ubisoft who's making that one, they mm-hmm. have delayed that game maybe uh, by this point, if it comes out when it's supposed to, 18 months. Because they are, we are going to put out a quality game. And you're mm-hmm. going to wait. Now there's a double-edged sword to that, because you got a game like Duke Nukem Forever that disappeared for 10 freaking years, came out, and and was like, you were never ready. You didn't care about yeah. this. Yeah. Right? So it's a question that has to be asked of an industry that is comparable to the film industry. Well, the you other can't question, just keep throwing crap out there and think we're going to buy it. The other now, question that will, I have but... to ask is, yeah, pre-orders, though. So you pre-order something. Sometimes you can pre-order up to a year before it actually comes out. What are they yeah. doing with that money? One, one would hope mm-hmm. that they're actually – it's like an interest-free loan, essentially, that they're using to pour into the development of the game. But if, you're also, if you pre-order a game, you pay you know, $50, $60, sometimes $70 for the game, depending. Yeah. And then, and then they give a you, broken game. Right. The and then they give you they content yeah. that you only got if you pre-ordered. Yeah. And you're like, dude, dude, this should be part of the game. Yeah. Like yeah. this – quit giving me incomplete game. It's, well, there was a cartoon years ago I saw. It was really funny. It was these game execs were like, hey, let's make them do these micro purchases, blah, 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 blah. It'll work like this. No one will do it. And then, like, the next panel is them, like, in leaves of, of green greenbacks. And like, ah, a pool of greenback. Like, people, gamers buy crap. I don't know why, but, but I think the consumer is going to have to start being more scrupulous mm-hmm. and make the industry pay for it. And to some extent they have. To some extent they haven't because they put out a whatever uh you know what is it call of duty if they put on everyone buys another call of duty it's like stop. yeah yeah but but you know they have you, you have to not produce bad products just stop and the fact that this guy at e3 i don't i haven't seen the panel you're talking about i thought you were going to talk about something different stop sending crap products that's really what yeah. it should be yeah. that's a question that has to be asked of developers they're going to put themselves out there yeah i agree just, you and- can't pretend like you're a genius like, oh, everything we put out is great. We didn't hear anything bad. That For a moderator to ask that question, that must have mean the groundswell was huge. It has it, to have. Yeah. And the, you, you're asking, usually the answer that I get when I ask this question to gamers is, oh, well, people have to stop pre-ordering games. And I'm sorry, but that's not a full answer. That's not a complete answer. It has to be, I mean, yes, that will probably help instigate the market to create complete games before they ship them but it's not i mean both both halves of this equation have to be on the same page well i see what your friends were trying to say is the consumer has to punish them Mm -hmm. like it really isn't otherwise they're gonna believe that they're still doing the right thing because the consumer is still buying it you you know you would not spend 60 70 dollars on these games if you didn't want them and i and the thing is now it's with games, it's like you can't really know if it's good if you, unless you try it. I, for the last, since I've been buying games, I always wait a year. Always. I don't have to be the dude who is in the front of the line. Sometimes the, the, the price doesn't go down, but I didn't buy Total War Rome 2 or Rome 2 Total War because the first year's discussion was this game's garbage. Yeah, yeah. And I think consumers have to be, reviewers have to be honest and consumers have to be more savvy. And and the market, the, the producers have to respond to market forces. And if there's no market force, they're not going to change what they're doing. 
Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I got other news. So, okay. So this is crazy. So I reposted this on the Facebook page. The Variety is reporting the Cowboy Bebop live action series is in the works. Oh, now, Lord. Now, this has been going on since 2000, right? This discussion of a live action Cowboy Bebop back when the Matrix was still a thing. Keanu Reeves was was the rumored character going to be the rumored actor to play Spike Spiegel. Uh, this is to me, and you can find Andrew and I's discussion about the 26 episode series in a previous podcast. This is a series as near and dear to my heart as a kind of casual anime fan. This was one that I went out of my way of watching to watch, and I think making a live action American version is a prohibitively bad idea. <laughs> Did you not just see what happened to Ghost in the Shell? No one gives a crap about anime in the American film market. Do not. First off, you're not going to do a good job. I don't care who's behind this. It's not going to be good. Second off, we talk about market forces. Americans don't care about these kind of films. They never have. I don't care how big the manga section is in Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble will be gone in 10 years. No one is going to see these movies. Just stop making them. And it doesn't translate well to live action either. Not even good. Look how goofy they look. Yeah. They're not going to look like the right. They're not going to look right. Mm-hmm. Who the hell wears the goofy blue jacket with a yellow pop, pop collar skinny Tarantino tie and gets away with it? Even the cosplayers don't look good. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Stuff. Well, it Although reminds I, me a little bit of... You remember when Eon Flux was made into a live-action movie? Uh, yeah, uh, yes. I saw the movie before I saw the show. Right. And it's a perfectly good standalone movie. Whatever. It, it, it really is. But it doesn't appeal to anyone who liked the original show at all. First of all, you can't get the hair right. The costumes have to be adapted because you can't move in the costumes from the original. Mm-hmm. And n- not to mention that a live-action version of those characters would not work because no one in the audience would be empathetic. No, the thing is no one cares about this kind of market. You would have to completely reinvent it. And mm-hmm. you're gonna, the alien, you alienate the fan base. The fan base is going to give you bad word of mouth. And, and but, but what's, here's what's most important is there is no market for it. Just, you can't, there's just no way you're going to create this market. We have tried over and over again, and no one cares. Yeah. Right? Ghost in the Shell was an abject failure. The Akira Project, if it ever happens, will be an abject failure. And this will be an abject failure. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work here in America. Well, you're a big fan of Cowboy Bebop. Would this actually taint your your feelings about the original? No, not even close. This goes back to our canon discussion. I can ignore this. Okay. Right, I can I, I can choose to ignore this. This is the same thing with Ghost in the Shell. If you like that series, that manga, that anime, or the anime series, whatever, how it this whatever whatever that was that you saw Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> in, you didn't you didn't need to you can forget. I forgot about it until you brought this up. So it's like <laughs> no one you don't need this. So uh, other casting news. Uh, another thing that worries me a lot is the casting for the upcoming Godzilla King of Monsters. Uh, set to hit hit theaters in 2019 for a March release, and then they're going to lead into a mashup of Godzilla vs. Kong in 2020. Because, again, we got to make universes. we got to do that. we got to have the Godzilla universe. We have the Marvel universe. We have the DC universe. we got the Universal Monsters Dark universe. Tom Cruise and the Mummy crap. But we got to keep doing this. And they got uh, Bradley Whitford, who you may remember from The West Wing or... What else can I think of you guys pricing him in? Um, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was one of the controllers. The, uh, I'm just not thrilled about this cast. I, I'm just, I know Eleven from Stranger Things is in it, but... Oh, okay. I Just looking through, uh, what's her name, Miley Brown? Miley, Miley Bobby Brown, I'm looking at it right now. Kyle Chandler, Miley Bobby Brown, Bradley Whitford... A bunch of other people I haven't heard of that I don't want to see. Oh, yeah. O'Shea Jackson Jr. No. Like, I don't like any of these actors. So I'm not excited about the cast of the new Godzilla. My only hope is that there will be a lot more Godzilla than there was in the 2014 one. Well, that was my question. If they're getting all of these 
it's it sounds like they're trying to create an actual story. Doesn't well, that usually mean less monster? I I don't know. They're trying to create a universe, and it should mean more That's monsters. Dumb. The only place where that works is Lego. The Lego. Works. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. You Yikes. are probably right. But I just I'm not excited about this casting. And look. Kong of Skull, Skull Island did okay, but again, I just don't think audiences are there. That was also the biggest, I mean, King Kong is always bigger than a real gorilla, but that was dumbly big. Like, well, they you have could to, have they crawled have to up that guy's nostril. Yes, but they, they had to do that, because the original Kong is like 50 feet tall. Right. The original Godzilla was 50 meters, so he was. there's already oh. a huge size disadvantage. And Godzilla has just gotten bigger. Like the legendary Godzilla is gigantic. So you have Kong has to be huge to the, even clo come close to that. How the hell are are these creatures supposedly still hidden? Is there any? I mean, Kong supposedly is on an island that we don't know about. Right. But at this point, he's pr basically outgrown the island. He should. Well, I guess presumably... Is still under the ocean? Or he no? went back to the... under. I don't know. Apparently he had been underground for years and years and years and years and then decided to come back up. Um, which is weird, because in the original Godzilla, it was just a monster created by nuclear explosions, right? Mm -hmm. It was the, your classic 50s. We need a monster. Well, we have nuclear weapons, so here's a monster and some superheroes. Right? <laughs> That's what you get. Yes. And nowadays, we really try and explain it, and we just stop. Actually, they would have been better off because they kind of hinted at it that Godzilla is not a monster that evolved, but a god, like an actual like demigod. You're better off going the supernatural route at this point, because yeah. if you try and explain how a 500 foot monster evolved and then stayed hidden and didn't have the population to sustain itself, like just make it a demigod. You know, I guess you may as well. Because you're, you're one is <laughs> they're both equally as reasonable. So I don't know. I, I we'll be following this because it's coming out in 2019. So We've got don't hold your breath. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. So let's, we want to do Handmaid's Tale. Was there yeah, anything let's talk else about Handmaid's Tale? Um, I will warn you. I read this about three weeks ago, and I don't have any notes. Yeah, I did the same thing. I, I read it like two weeks ago, and I and I, I finished. I did it in two sittings three sittings so i read it really quick yeah well it's it's short it's it is short. fairly light on deep vocabulary etc it's which well, is fine i'll just give you my overview right smack right now it is yeah. not a great <laughs> book it is not world changing yeah. it is no. not supposed to be on your shelf of classic no. dystopian novels even i don't even know why it. we remembered that this existed and i'm kind of pissed because right. it should have just stayed on the 99-cent Kindle list Yo, forever. So here's the thing. I learned two things when I read this book. One, there's such a thing as feminist nightmare porn. And I kind of dig feminist nightmare porn. I don't know. So here's the thing. I am a fan of dystopian novels, okay? So it, 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 there is a genre connection for me. But you are not wrong. This is not a particularly strong novel. It's not a particularly inventive novel. Right, Not it even is a little. Just, that epilogue, just, yeah. I'm sitting here like, could you be any less imaginative? Right, and you, you and I and Andrew have been digging through Orwell now for the past six months. Mm -hmm. When you were reading this, you did you not think, oh, she templated this from 1984? Oh, absolutely. This is, this is the 1984 template. Now, I will grant you, right, 1984 wasn't the most original either. Orwell templated 1984 off Jack London's The Iron Heel and We, and he read, he had read um, well, H.G. Uh, Wells, and he had read Huxley. He even talks about them, both of them, compares the two of them in Road to Wing and Pier. So it was not, you know, outrageously... New or fresh. It's just a, a yeah. rewriting of the same, the same but, idea, the same but, outline for a new audience. And in this case, it was for, I suppose, an audience of women? Well, you would you agree with me that... It, she templates not just 1984. She only templates the first third because the whole book is just a description of the universe that we're in. Yep. There is really no driving force behind the character. She's not doing anything. She's not driving towards anything. She's just explaining the universe that we're in, which was the first third of 1984. Mm -hmm. But at least Winston 
and Julia start to do stuff and then they get, you know, they get captured and they go through this whole process. But it literally is, it is a template off 1984, but just the first third. But, and I'll grant you this, totalitarian dystopian stories are all cliched because totalitarian governments are cliched. They all do the yeah, same thing. Yeah, no, you're absolutely, that is it, a very fair point. This is still matter. the most hackneyed climax I think I've ever read. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah, it's true. I, and it just was stuffed with every feminist trope you can think of, right? It really is. Like, what women are oppressed. This is what men really want to do to us. This is the this this is the patriarchy come alive. And the irony for me, see if you agree with this, is that when you read Handmaid's Tale, you go, well, obviously we don't live in a patriarchy, so stop saying it. Because if we did, this is what it would look like. I'm not even convinced that that is what an actual patriarchy would look like. So here's what I learned from this. Apparently, Americans are petrified of actual fundamental religion of all types. The well, right she's Canadian. Is really... Okay. But the right, and maybe North Americans then, I'll extend it out. Um, uh -huh. But the right is terrified of fundamental Muslims, and the left is terrified of fundamental Christians. And I'm just like, sure. guys... Sure, sure. If the men ran this, it would look much more like the officers' club that what's his face takes Offred to. It would not look like this. No dude actually wants his mistress to wear a dark red right. cape. Right. They want more skin, not less. The yeah, average no, man. It, it was it. It felt like it was a parody that didn't want to admit it was a parody. Because even in 1984, he, Orwell will admit, you have to like read into him, but he'll admit, this is a parody. I'm making fun of totalitarianism. Whereas when I read Atwood, it felt like she was like, no, this can happen. Because I checked the wiki page, right? Did you did you do a quick check of the wiki page? Did not. And if, okay, I did a quick check of the wiki page just to kind of fill. And, and there's a historical context section. I want to read to you this quote. So Atwood was also known to carry around newspaper clippings to her various interviews to support her fiction's basis in reality. Uh, before that, there's a line. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Da, 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 where basically she was like, um, here we go. Ma uh, Atwood maintains, quote, as with The Handmaid's Tale, I didn't put anything that we hadn't already done. We uh, were not already, that we're not already doing. Where, I hate it when I, when these things move. We're seriously trying to do coupled with trends that are already in progress. So all those things are real and therefore the amount of pure invention is close to nil. Girl, stop. Right. And I actually tried to track down the link that said that she carried news, but to see what she was citing, I can't find any right now. So if someone out there has got it, a list of what Atwood claimed she based her stories on. I'd really want to see it. I just, I just want, I want to just to see if she's making, she's making a truth claim. I want, I want to back it up. She believes that there are men that hold, that have their actual barren wives hold a younger woman's head in their lap while they screw them in order to make a baby. Here's what I, I think. She, she probably, here's what I think, but I can't say this for certain because I can't track down what she's citing is she found maybe in another country or some crazy dude who did this in a basement in, in, in the high Sierra Nevada. And she was like, well, this happened. What if it was government that did it? And then men and then the patriarch. That's what I think. She's super extrapolated. She found oh one God. isolated instance of a crazy person mistreating someone, which we all condemn. And then went, well, obviously men do this. They love doing this. And it's like, what? But I have to, I have to, I can't track, I can't track the sources down. There's no list yeah. of, here's what happened to Handmaid's Tale, here's her newspaper clipping of the event that she based it on that was the inspiration for it. Because I think context matters. Here's the one big thing that I think has been glossed over in a lot of the controversy. And I think we're probably going to touch a lot more on the controversy of the Handmaid's Tale when we talk about the show. Because the show is really what's stirring up the masses right now. It's not the book. Sure, Nobody's sure, reading. Sure. Nobody reads. So... But the one thing I, I think that kind of gets glossed over is the role that women have in oppressing other women in this. Yo, that is, I'm surprised you hit not, on that. It's not the guys. Mm. It really isn't the guys. The guys don't have them herded in. It is not the guys indoctrinating the women. When there is, there's a scene towards the end 
and again, the the last episode airs tonight, so I don't actually have a problem saying this, but there's a scene that I don't know if it makes it into the show in which all the women are gathered together for the once a month when they kill people. They hang them right. in public, whatever, and it's the women are forced to watch this happen. Mm-hmm. At least when they're hanging women, they force the women to watch. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of this ceremony of sorts, ceremony of death, they bring out a guy... Mm-hmm. And they accuse him of what was it, raping? Raping a handmaid. A handmaid. And then they just say, whatever you want to do to him is fine, and we'll look right. the other way. And they literally rip him apart. Correct. Just rip him apart. Mm-hmm. Those aren't men doing mm-hmm. that. Not in that book. But also in real life, we have, and I, I, I'd have to dig it up, but I'm aware of war crimes that, like in Africa, where that kind of stuff does happen. Oh, yeah. And and you're right. It's actually the women who harangue them. Like, who, who it get it done. It tends to be. I mean, be. If, if you look at the historical record, and, you know, I know that there are sociological studies on this. I don't I don't have any that come to mind immediately. Yeah, I can't think of it often is, either. Women tend to have a much more village mentality. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at the process of indoctrinating someone new, it rarely is the guys. Guys have a, a little bit of a different mindset when it comes to sure. creating a totalitarian government. I mean, I look think at the Kims. The word, the word you're thinking of is in-group preference, I think. Women there have a much easier in-group preference because they're women. Yeah. Whereas guys, it's like, you're, it's, it's not like guys don't go, you're a dude, I'm a dude, we're friends. Like, we don't do that. Yeah. We don't the do that. The identity politics are huge in this book. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, look, I, I still kind of liked it. I, I, I will admit it's just not great it's not why we're lavishing so much joy on this book is like just pull back a little bit and really analyze the book as it is it's just a description of a nightmare that someone had literally at night someone Someone woke (laughs) up and was like oh man i gotta write this down nobody's gonna believe this well and the the reason i bring up what women do to other women is um Mm -hmm. they base the idea of the handmaids on the story of rachel and bilha so in the bible Um, Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. So this is the third generation of the Hebrew nation. Mm -hmm. Jacob goes to his, he's sent away from his family because of course he's um, arguing with his brother and they're both arguing over inheritance. His mother is terrified that his older brother will kill him. So she sends him away with, to live with her brother, his uncle. So he lives with his uncle. And as soon as he gets to the village that his uncle rules, which is probably pretty small at that time. Although, you know, there were a lot fewer people, so maybe they thought it was large. He walks up, he sits next to the well, and he sees a beautiful young woman herding her sheep, because that was the woman's job, to drink out from the well. So she would haul the buckets up, dump them in a trough, sheep would drink, then she'd herd them off to go, you know, eat grass or whatever sheep do. And he fell in love with her instantly, and her name was Rachel. So he, as he followed her basically home, found out that she's actually his cousin, which wasn't that frowned upon back then. So he asked his uncle if he could marry her. And his uncle said, sure, no problem. You got to work for me for seven years. And at the end of it, that will be your your gift. So he sold his daughter for seven years of labor from his nephew. So Jacob, sure enough, works for seven years. And they set up the, well, I guess they didn't have the chepa and all that stuff back then, but they set up the, the marriage ceremony. The bride walks down and heavily veiled. And back then you didn't just raise the veil at the moment. So he doesn't realize who he's married until he goes into the tent to consummate the marriage, takes her clothes off and discovers that it's actually his, her, Rachel's older sister, Leah. And Leah is described as having soft eyes, which some people say she may have had a lazy eye. Not sure. Um, but the, so Leah was definitely not as beautiful as Rachel and Jacob wanted no part of her. So he goes storming out of the tent, runs over to his uncles and, you know, bangs on the door and is like, Hey, what the hell did you just do to me? And he goes, Oh my bad. Did I not explain our traditions? You have to, the oldest daughter has to be married before the second one. I knew you really wanted to marry the second one. So I had to marry off the first one first. I figured you were, you were the guy. So if you work for me for another seven years, I'll marry you to my daughter, Rachel, the one you wanted the whole time. He's like, fine. What the hell ever. So they do the 10 days of, they finalize the 10 days of ceremony for Leah. He immediately marries Rachel and then he sticks around and works for another seven years for his uncle to, so that 14 years total, he pays off his two wives. That's a hell of a mortgage. But anyways, so after a while it 
it turns out that um, Rachel's Baron, his favorite wife. So Rachel, um, Leah has a couple of kids. Eventually she ages out of the child having process and says, well, you know, Rachel, you're, it's your turn. Rachel doesn't have any kids. So Rachel gets her handmaid, Bilha, and says, here you go, Jacob. Why don't you take her instead? And I'll be the mother of any children that she has. Who the hell is the wrong per- is the bad person in this scenario? No, I mean I get I get what you're getting at, right? I didn't know the, I knew basic story, but the details help. Right, I think it wasn't Atwood's point that you had these guys, these sons of Jacob, perverting the interpretation. That was the whole point. I don't was know. It, she it it to me it came across as though she was saying the original story is fucked up and so is anyone who believes along these lines or oh, I'm who, certain that she cherishes that this this scriptural text and I'm like yeah. the Bible has a whole lot of stories in it not all of them are designed to to say that one person or another was correct it's right. simply but I think telling your point, a story well your point seems to be that this was a voluntary transaction no not right? by the handmaid I'm saying not, it's the oh. woman that turned her handmaid oh. into a concubine. It had so nothing to do with the guy. The handmaid, okay, so the handmaid never said, like, yeah, that's, I'm cool with that. I'll, no, right? I, I have no idea if Bill Howe was okay with it or not. Maybe Jacob oh, okay. was ex- especially handsome. I don't know, and I don't right. really care. But my point right. here is just, this saying. seems to be feminist porn, but it's the women who are typically in the wrong here. I see what you, there's an irony to that, that they don't, they never, some, there's this woman named Laura Kipnis, who I just recently found out about, and she has a great way of saying that, you know, she doesn't like using the word feminism. She likes to use the word feminisms. There's there's many different branches of it. And there's a kind of crazy part where it's, it's like it's never the woman's fault. It's like no matter what they do, somehow the man made it happen to them. And that's exactly right. the impression I got, not only right. from this book, but from everyone who defends it or, or sees sure. some parallel of it in current society, which I don't know how the hell you can see any no. parallels no, in that's current the society. Other thing. We have the opposite problem. But that, that's, that's entirely true, because if you look at 1984, Orwell was specifically talking about a very prevalent ideology that was functioning, popular, and on the move. Atwood clearly made something up. There was no real-life Sons of Jacob. That was not an allegory for anything, anywhere, making any kind of pride. You know, you can sit there and say, well, what about Falwell in the 80s or Billy Graham or all these other guys? They don't even come close to what the Soviet Union looked like. And they were nowhere near uh, They were doing not political. With, well, well, Graham ran for president a few times on the moral majority in the 80s. Okay. He ran for president a few times. So maybe that's what she was reacting to. But – but they were they, their policies were not what she's describing, right? There was no. nothing. And neither right? that's is the, the thing. Current, she, neither is the current political. The whole problem that we have is that our president is a degenerate. Yeah, he's, right. he's not in at all interested in robing women and keeping them from other men. He's all Two about grabbing them by the pussy, literally. As you he know, has been on the record of saying. No, but here's the thing. If you can we get to that for one second, because I'm gonna make you mad for a second. If you really listen to that, he is not saying I do this, right? Listen really carefully. What he is saying, and it's a truth that I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with, is that women will let famous slash rich and or rich dudes do get away yeah. with all sorts of crap. And I'm not I'm not right? saying and that's anything about his saying. original I and and you could be right. I'm not actually speaking to his actual quote. My point is that he as a whole, the overall trend of his entire presidency so far is that it's fairly degenerate and immoral. Not it's anti, it's not anti-moral. It's just non-moral, amoral. Right. Why are we worried about the sons of Jacob? Like, why is, why are people saying I see parallels in today's society? No, you don't. No, you fucking don't. This <laughs> no, is not don't. a religious society that we live in. Oy. Well, I mean, I know people would push back on that, but it is certainly secularizing at a speed that they're not used to. Yesterday was Capital Pride here in D.C. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what a Pride Parade looks like? Sure. Well, right, yeah, I, I, right down we to have the them circle? Here. I don't think we're a very religious nation anymore. And I don't say well, that as a pejorative at all. I can't, I'm just I saying can't I imagine that. Pride gays right at this point in america being particularly religious but i don't know what pride looks like in dc but here it's actually just one giant commercial that's what it looks like to us is is here it's just it's been uh, commercialized 
it's wow. super commercialized. It's oh, like, wow. uh, here's the float for this bank, and here's the float for this company, and here's the float for this company, and here's the float for, and here's this politician running, and here's this other politician, and here's wow. the mayor, and here's the credit union, and here's here's the local uh, gym, and like they just go through it, and it's like, that is all really you're doing is advertising, saying yeah. we're gay friendly, come do this. Yeah, that's what it is here. This is what it was last year. You know, I which is why I don't feel like going. I took a class in college um, that was about uh, marriage equality. This was right before um, the Supreme Court ruled on this. So we didn't have marriage equality at that time. Yeah. And almost everyone in class identified with LGBTQ something. Almost. I think they were like. You mean identified. Like, like as like they were like. They were. They actually. Gay, we had bi, some trans, gay, Yeah. Okay. Somebody okay. was something. Somebody was in that community. Almost everyone in, in the class was also in that community. And there was a long conversation because the woman who was leading the class discussion was a bisexual woman who was married to a man, which is a big sure. problem for bisexuals as a whole. It's called bisexual invisibility because the min if you are with a woman and you're a woman, then you look gay. And if you're sure. with a man and you're a woman, you look straight. But the truth sure. is of the matter is you're not either. Got it. Really. Got it. So she had been dating women in the days when it was truly, what's the word I'm looking for? Unacceptable to date not women? Just, not just unacceptable, but it was a form of resistance, almost. Oh, right. Um, it, right so right, right. A political protest. It was a political protest. I mean, your sexuality is your sexuality, and it, and it is a portion of what you are. It doesn't define you. I don't believe that. I don't believe that it should define you, but it can also be a form of protest just as I believe that African-American women with fully natural hair is a form of protest. I, I do believe that. Everyone has their own way of doing it. I mean, it was even Absolutely. in, even it was even in 1984. Oral says that, yes, you know, having sex exactly. was a form of, of resistance. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. So she came to, she brought a different experience. Of course, almost every, everyone except me in that room was a millennial because this is all very young college students. Right, right, right. And she said, you guys don't seem to understand that 30 years ago, we didn't want marriage equality. We didn't want to get mm -hmm. married because that was, the, that was mainline, mainstream America. Right. And it seems as though the LGBT, LGBTQA all the I'm other letters. Gay. I'm just going to say gay. Community. I'm just saying gay. I'm just, I'm has, just been gay. has been has been rolled right into the mainstream. It's been... Hardcore, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is... It is and I would be sad. I always do, because here's the thing. Like, when the argument in the 80s was, when Atwood was writing this, and, and, and she doesn't really spend a lot of time with gay... She calls them gender traitors, but they don't spend a lot of time on them. Uh, she doesn't really particularly do a lot of real estate. But it was, uh, you know... They, Probably for they the were, best. That would really date her work even more than it yeah, already is. Yeah, that's true. But um, I forgot what the argument was. It was like, well, gays don't get married. They they don't have kids, and that's what makes them not, not a good part of the society, right? Mm -hmm. That was the argument made back then. And I heard that one. These guys sound like they're people you want to party with. Like, that sounds awesome. And, yeah. like, I remember – because I used to work at a gay bar, okay? I worked part-time at a gay bar. I was the trivia night guy. And I remember, like, the MCs. After the trivia night, they would do like open mics and, and stuff like that. Or even the conversation at the bar was like, why are you why are you doing this? We didn't want to do this. This is the fun part was that we couldn't get married. Right. This right? is the that antithesis the of being and I, a, look, a member and I, of the resistance. You know, it's right, it's sure. Right. There's no such thing as the resistance. Just stop with that resistance crap. It's Just not the word stop. I'm looking for. I'm, I'm I know, I know, but you know entirely. it's going to get thrown around. <laughs> you know, you know who I'm talking I'm not talking to you. You know who I'm talking to. But Look, and I get the other side of the argument is, well, look, if the government's going to treat one group of people this way, it's got to treat the other group the same way. Okay, I'm sympathetic to that. Personally, I don't know why the government's dealing with marriage at all. So I, I rope, it in, rope it into contract law and then forget about it. That's really – some states look like they might start doing that. I don't really Do don't you care. Do like France with the PACs where you go down to the courthouse one day and you're like, I'm responsible for that guy. That guy's responsible for me. The end. Sure. Oh, hey, we're done with this now. We're going to go down to the courthouse. I'm not responsible for him, and he's not responsible for me. Yeah. Done. And Dude, I get it. My favorite. I, I get it, right? Because the United States was a lot younger, okay. and we had the frontier. Yeah. I get it, right? The, the Europe didn't have that. And again, with the religion thing, we didn't have state sponsored religion. So, mm -hmm. like in Europe, the government could come in and say what's 
God's word and what's not. Yeah. And it, it We've never worked. ascribed to that. Never happened here because it was like, uh, you know, you had a, a, a free market of religion. That was basically what you had. It was like just a bunch of ideas and like, this is Jesus. It's like, no, this is Jesus. This is Joseph Smith. Oh, well, and every, every, every little town out West had their own idea of what should happen. And it was mostly guys. Cause it was mostly single men that were moving out West. And the only yeah. way to stabilize it was to add a few women to the mix. And I mean, you don't really want prostitution as we currently well, know. I, I know. You, well, I know you do. You're on this whole <laughs> kick, but at the same, for a stable society, prostitution is, as a whole, not a good idea. A, a little bit of it in back alleys from time to time. What is fine? <laughs> Get out of here. But, but you don't want you want you want families. You want man woman together. You want children. You can have both. Or man man and children. So this, no, I, I mean, mean like, society you know, is one hundred percent. The government and the, and the mainstream society has a hundred percent co opted this movement, and it's a little sad. Oh, no, I agree with that. But, I mean, like, think about getting back to the book, that whole Jezebel sequence, which was really funny because that was the ultimate, like, that was the second nightmare was, like, men having a good time, right? It was, yeah. like, the women in the cheerleading outfits and the schoolgirl outfits. That cracked and the, me up. Although yeah, that was the like, one moment where I thought, this is actually pretty decent writing, describing how they were, you know, nobody made lingerie anymore, so they were just trying to repackage kind of yeah. ridiculous Somewhere oh. in Halloween costumes, there was right. it was clearly a Playboy bunny. Right, that's it. Yeah, and I think like the, that funny part, the way I read it was like, oh my god, men having a good time. We gotta do something about this. <laughs> that's the way I read it. I think it because... was more to describe their hypocrisy in that they would robe right. their women a certain sure. way, but they really didn't want it. And I'm like, that's that's where you lost me because if. What they truly want is women walking around in Playboy bunny costumes. That was what they would have made law, not right. robes. I mean, so. it does speak to kind of the strange hypocrisy about American approaches to sexuality. It is really weird. It's very Roman. In, in, it's, it's a time, place, and manner. It's like when you're out in public, no one has genitals, right? That's just no one has genitals. And if we mm. find out you have genitals, we don't want to vote for you anymore. Fair. You know what I mean? Like, if you find that out, we don't, we don't, we don't want to vote for you, right? We don't want, like when Mike Wallace was interviewing Mitt Romney in 2012, he was just like, like just going at him, like, did you have sex before you were married? Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you? Like, and, and like Romney's like, I don't want to talk about this. And it's like, finally, he's like, no, but I do have genitals, right? That was basically what he had to like explain. Yeah. And no, there is, there is a part of like American, the way Americans just do it is to me, it's always been like a time, time, place, and manner type things. It's like when you're out in public, you pretend like no one has genitals. And then you go into the back, not the back alley. Good God, that would, that would just be worse. No, the, you go into the brothels, which I'm not even like. That's even a bad model. And and you just like cut loose, and like you yeah. will see the dude down the street, on the other half of the girl you're with, and it's like, hey, yeah. Gary, how's it going? But you just didn't talk about it, right? right? That was that's the way Americans approach this kind of crap. Which and I actually just, like. I mean, I just I, think it's I, not healthy. No, I th I'm totally down with it as long as everyone understands that what happens behind closed doors is the same for everyone. I mean, sure. whatever your particular kink is, but you have one. Everyone knows you have one. The problem, I think, is when we start to pretend that what happens on the street all of the time is what happens everywhere, even in the bedroom. And I'm like, that's where you've lost me because we're all kinky. Yo, for real. It's true. I mean... True. Have you read any of Atwood's other novels? No, I, after that, I didn't got really like, care to. No, I didn't feel like... She's got, like, six of these speculative fiction dystopian things, and I'm like, I'm... These days, I'm, she would I'm, never get a publisher. She'd have to self-publish on Kindle. Think so? Yes. Totally. Think so? I mean, I figured it would be harder to publish back then. No, I mean, publishers were, were actually putting their weight behind books back then. Nowadays, oh, they don't... Is that what you're all. saying? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, right now it's just got this new resurgence popularity. So, you know it was made into a movie in, like, 1990. No, I didn't know that. Huh. It was completely unmemorable because I had to look it up and it was like, no one remembers it. And it had, like, Robert Duvall. It hasn't Duvall. even popped up on BuzzFeed. I'm surprised by that. <laughs> no, it, it totally exists um, out there. As a movie, it was, like, 1990. It was a movie. Huh. Natasha and, Richardson. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. And, like... No, and it's just not not been talked about. Faye, yeah, Faye Dunaway. Dude, and actually, the pictures look exactly how I pictured the house. That, yeah, that's so funny. Wow, that looks exactly like I pictured the house that she was in. 
I wonder if I accidentally watched this. It's Robert Duvall. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Some actual stars in this and nobody even remembers it was made. Right. I, I, it's why I think you, you are, I think you hit it on the head for the most part. I think it is just virtue signaling at this point. Very much you, really, so. you have to, people want to create this narrative of oppression and look how awful it is. And it's like, no, I mean, we're not, we're not there. We I don't mean, live in that world. We know, no one even wants to go in that direction. No, it, the, exactly. There's no even threat of this. No, and the best they're going to come up with is some sort of crazy evangelical nut in, like, Kansas. Like, the best they're going to come up with is Westboro Baptist Church that has, well, like, what I keep five hearing members. is, well, if Pence had his way, I'm like, do you know how little a vice president actually affects? Do you know that Teddy Roosevelt was made vice president to McKinley specifically to shut him the hell up? His party didn't want to deal with him anymore, so they gave him the vice presidency. And, of course, McKinley got shot, who saw that coming, and everyone was very upset. Probably the assassin. I think he saw that coming. Well, he at least but, worked for the best. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can't think of anyone who has – basically usually just goes back to the abortion thing. That's usually what it is. It's like, well, it's, it's reproductive rights, and that's, and that's kind of become the catch-all. And that's, it's like, that, that's usually what they use as a, as a justification for that's why – we got to have a women's day march or stuff. What kills me is that abortion was actually the antithesis of what early feminists believed in. They believed that making abortion legal actually would allow men to have whatever they wanted without consequences. And that would damage women's rights. Yeah. It's always about, you can't let the dudes have fun. Well, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so funny how the tables have turned anyways. So I don't want to get too, too, too deep and discuss everything. Cause of course we've got a second handmaid's tale, um, full podcast coming up in the near future. But yeah, I mean, this is a shitty book. It really was, I won't say a waste of my time because I'm, I am glad that I have the Agreed. knowledge of it now and I can speak authoritatively on it, but right. eh, we're not headed that direction anytime no, soon. No, no, it's not it, even it, a little. It doesn't, it doesn't really, I don't know why it's, it gets listed in the top 10 dystopian novels you have to read. Because there's an H or a Hulu show. I get, but I just, it doesn't, it doesn't merit mention. It doesn't come close to the power of 1984. It doesn't come close to the to kind of the skill of Fahrenheit 451, the, the template that Jack and London it, set down. I mean, it it's just, not prescient in any way either. No, so, no, no, it was just, it's usually with, with, with totalitarian stories or dystopian stories it's usually just what is the author specifically afraid of at that moment he wrote the book and then extrapolate and that's what you that's what you get yeah, yeah. that's it and then if it's your if you are a woman or a feminist or a male feminist who's just afraid of religion and and thinks this is what the picture looks like this is just your red meat yes that's just what it is <laughs> that's why i call it feminist nightmare porn yeah and i kind of like it was, it was kind of hot <laughs> anyways all right so folks if you like what we do please you head on over to thereforegeek.com to check out old blog posts and current podcasts you can check us out on social media we are on facebook twitter and instagram and you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on itunes stitcher soundcloud and occasionally youtube so once again i'm tracy i'm duder and you've been listening to therefore i geek well, that was...